You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. Christians taking Jesus' sayings on divorce at at face value, they've forced women to stay in untold uh, situations of abuse. And I want to argue this week, Jesus' saying about divorce didn't judge women, but was instead deeply concerned with social justice. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 229 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title this week is Divorce Leading to Adultery from the Q uh, Scholarship at Sayings Gospel Q 1618. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and the one who marries a divorcee commits adultery. Our companion text that we'll be looking at is Matthew 5, 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And Luke 16, 18, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery adultery. Christians taking Jesus's sayings on divorce at at face value, um, they've forced women to stay in untold uh, situations of abuse. And I want to argue this week that in the context of first century uh, economic realities for women in, in both Roman and Jewish patriarchal society, and, and in the context of the deba- debate between uh, the pharisaical schools of Shammai and Hillel uh, on divorce, Jesus is saying about divorce, it didn't judge women, but was instead uh, deeply concerned with social justice for women. And let's unpack that a bit. First, within at least Jewish society at the time of Jesus, divorce was the prerogative of the man. The laws were made uh, the laws that were that were present were were patriarchal. In Deuteronomy twenty two thirteen through eighteen states: If a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name, saying, "I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity," then the young woman's father and mother shall bring to the town elders at the gate proof that she was not a virgin. I don't know how they would do that. Her father will say to the elders. I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin, but here is proof of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, and the elders shall take the man and punish him. Then they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the young woman's father, not the young woman, but the young woman's father, because this man has given an Israelite virgin a bad name. She shall continue to be his wife, and he must not divorce her as long as he lives. So this passage is disturbing for multiple reasons, but but this week I'd like to focus on the fact that reparation for the unjust slander in this text, it would have been paid to the young woman's father. There's no reparation to the woman uh, in this case, and, and she would also horribly have to remain married to her offender. Another disturbing example is found a few verses further in Deuteronomy 22, Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 24. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be a married 
uh, pledged to be married, sorry, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate, a, 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 a gate of that town, and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. Blaming the victim because she didn't scream for help is sick. And this law blames rape victims for their own rape. Uh, but it also also notice that that the man is punished because he violated another man's wife. The crime is against the other man. It's not against the woman. Um, she's simply labeled as another man's wife, a property to another man. And the last deeply disturbing example uh, that we're going to consider um, uh, together uh, is Deuteronomy 22, 28 through 29. If a man happens to meet a virgin who's not pledged to, a ma to be married and rapes her and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. So now it's not another man's wife who's, who's uh, violated. It's, it's uh, the woman's father. He must marry the young woman, for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. And again, this is sick on multiple levels too. The, the victim of rape um, must marry her rapist without the option of divorce. And again, the financial penalty is one that has to be paid to the woman's father. So Jesus' saying must be interpreted in light of a culture where a woman had very few rights. She couldn't send her husband away with a certificate of divorce, and only only men were allowed to, to, to do that. And, and also the Torah's criteria for divorce was problematic. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man. Her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. So notice that, that within the Torah, the only prerequisite for divorce here in this passage is if the woman displeases her husband in any way. And, and Deuteronomy was at the heart of this debate between the Pharisaical schools of Shammai and Hillel. And we've discussed these two schools in the past. Hillel focused on the displeasing portion of this text and, and stated that a man could send his wife away, giving her a certificate of divorce, for any reason whatsoever, if he was displeased with her. I mean, again, it's the famous adage for, for burning his toast. Shammai, on the other hand, focused on the word indecent and said the, that the, the only permissible reason for, for a man to send his wife away was if she had committed an indecent act of infidelity, such as adultery. And notice the language. It's only if she did. His adultery... Um, a male's adultery was not addressed uh, because until Hellenistic influence, only men could issue a certificate of divorce, remember. So you have two arguing factions in the Judaism of Jesus's day. One said a man could divorce a woman for any reason that he chose, and that was the school of Hillel. And the other said that the man could divorce a woman uh, that it could only be justified uh, if it was the case of adultery. So, so Jesus and Hillel 
we've talked about this at length in the past. They had so much in common in their teachings, um, but they had different social locations. Jesus and Hillel differed on the prosible in relation to the poor. And Jesus called for instead the, the year of Jubilee, where all debts were to be forgiven and accumulated wealth was to be redistributed uh, to the poor. But in, in most every other area, Jesus interpreted the Torah in much the same way as Hillel, and except for here in the case of divorce. Um, Jesus here rejects the school of Hillel, and he sides... Um, depending on which gospel you read. In, in the gospel of Matthew, he sides with Hillel. In the gospel of Mark and 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 uh, Luke, he uh, sides with a, a more strand, stringent rejection of divorce. Um, even then, then Shammai or, or Moses as well, for that matter, would have been comfortable with. There is no justification for divorce in both Mark and, and in Luke's gospel. So as we look at each, in Matthew, Jesus stated that divorce in the Torah was a concession or an accommodation to male hard-heartedness within patriarchal marriages. And reasons could include something as minor as finding something objectionable or unpleasing about one's wife, as we just covered in Deuteronomy 24. And in Matthew, Jesus goes beyond Torah and limits the reasons for a husband to divorce his wife to only infidelity. Matthew 19, 8 through 9, he said to them, it was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. In Mark, which is an earlier version of the gospel uh, believed to have been written first, we find a Jesus that's even more strident uh, than, any, than in Matthew even. There's no justification for divorce in Mark. And, and even the reason of infidelity in Matthew is left out. It just says whoever divorces his wife, period, um, uh, gets the spot. So, so Mark 10, 5 through 10, um, but Jesus said to them, because of your hard hardness, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In the house, the disciples asked Jesus again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, granted, here in Mark, um, the woman can uh, in, uh, uh, divorce. Remember, because Mark was written for a more Gentile audience. In Roman culture, Gentile culture, men and women could both divorce. But in Matthew's Jewish culture, um, uh, uh, only men could. And I would argue that in each of these examples, we see a Jesus who is living within the boundaries of his own Roman and Jewish patriarchal social order and marriage. He, he's He's... His concern within those constraints is justice for women. And I want to explain that. In a culture that disadvantages women, making women dependent on, on fathers and husbands for survival with very few exceptions, in more egalitarian marriages, the principle would be the same. Distributive justice for all the parties that are involved. I mean, I, I come from a long history of divorce on both my mother's and my father's sides of the family. I, I'm the son of, of both my uh, mother's and my father's second marriages. My mother 
after she was married to my father, she would go on to be married a, a total of four times, and my father was married a total of three times. And I grew up with with my mom um, living, despite a physically and emotionally abusive in a, an abusive situation. She was afraid to leave her her uh, husband, her third husband, um, because there had been no case of of marital infidelity um, on, on her or on her husband's part. Um, and I see this as a, a gross misunderstanding of the cultural context of Jesus's words. In Jesus's culture, where Jesus speaks of divorce, we see a double standard where men didn't commit adultery against their wives, but only against husbands of the of the married women that they may have had sex with. And if if women, if a woman was unmarried, the 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 man, if you committed adultery with that woman, the, the, remember the the man paid a penalty to the father of the woman, not not the woman. The, and it wasn't even labeled adultery because she wasn't married. He might have been married, but she wasn't married, so it wasn't adultery. And even if the man himself, again, was married. This was a culture whose whose adultery laws were written when men were permitted to have multiple wives and as long as the rights of the fathers in those wives' lives were respected. And Jesus' words in the Gospels regarding divorce, they should not be shallowly interpreted and lifted out of their context to promote injustice and abuse towards women today. They were given in a time and circumstance that were endeavoring to, to uh, protect women from injustice and abuse in their day. They shouldn't be taken out of that context and used to promote injustice and abuse towards women today. And this would be, again, to contradict the spirit of justice for women that are originally within these words, and nor should they be used today today to uh, support patriarchal marriage as an ideal for human society. Speaking of of Jesus's words in the the temple debates of Mark twelve twenty four through twenty seven, um, we 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 find Jesus unequivocally denouncing patriarchal marriage as having a a place in the world or in the world transformed rather. Um, in a world that's been made just, safe, and compassionate for all. Remember when he talks about there being no more marriage or patriarchal marriage in the age to come. Um, Elizabeth uh, Firenza uh, writes in, in Memory of Her, A Feminist Theological Reconstruction of Christian Origins, she writes these words, Jesus is not claiming that sexual differentiation and sexuality do not exist in the world of God but that patriarchal marriage is no more because its function in maintaining and continuing patriarchal economic and religious structures is no longer necessary. In Mark 12, 26 through 27, and that's where Jesus says there'll be no more giving uh, in marriage. In Mark, Jesus replies directly to the question of the continuation of the patriarchal family. In the burning bush, God is revealed to Moses as the God of promise given to the patriarchs and their posterity. The house of Israel is not guaranteed in and through patriarchal marriage structures, but through the promise and faithfulness of Israel's powerful life-giving God. While the God of the patriarchal systems and its securities is the God of the dead, the God of Israel is the God of the living. In God's world, women and men 
no longer relate to each other in terms of patriarchal dominance and dependence, but as persons who live in the presence of the living God. The Sadducees have erred much in assuming that the structures of patriarchy are unquestionably unquestionably, a dimension of God's world as well. So, too, all subsequent Christians have erred in maintaining oppressive patriarchal struggles, structures. Um, today, uh, uh, that's also, that's page 145 to, 144 to 145. I hear Jesus' words this week calling us to prioritize the vulnerable, um, the vulnerable within our societies, whether that vulnerability is is rooted in a discrimination based on gender, like we find in patriarchal structures, or whether it's based on race or ethnicity or gender expression, gender identity, class, education, sexuality, ability, age, culture, language, uh, or, or even religion, we're called to put people and their well-being first. And this is what I see Jesus doing in this week's saying. In a patriarchal structure, men needed to be limited in, in what they were, how they were. Uh, they, they needed to be not limited because that implies that they could a little bit. There needed to be something that governed uh, the rampant abuse they were engaging in towards women and the way divorce was being carried out. And, and, and that's the context. That's the application. And, and even if that means, if standing at the vulnerable today, even if that means that we're going against uh, traditional popular interpretations like in Jesus's day with divorce of our sacred text, this week's saying, it speaks of women being more than disposable objects more than just easily discardable in a consumer-style patriarchal marriage of being handed from one man to the next. And people couldn't simply discard or trade their wives based on legal loopholes in the Torah without acknowledging the damage done to the women involved. And in, in the spirit of that, it, it, Jesus is saying calls us to reject seeing anyone as disposable, as a disposable means for our own pleasure, or our own gratification. What Jesus is saying is that women, or in the larger sphere, people matter. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and the one who marries a divorcee commits adultery. Heart group application this week. Our saying this week, again, has been used to, to harm spouses in abusive marriages. It's been used to keep people in abusive marriages. And, and number one, how have you witnessed uh, our saying this week um, used to keep people in abusive relationships? Number two, uh, does seeing this week's saying through the lens of a, a call for social justice towards women in a patriarchal society, does that make a difference for you? And then number three, discusses a group uh, which other sectors of society are presently being objectified or used for another's sector's benefit or or even scapegoated in the name of, of uh, community integrity and unity and brainstorm some things that your group can do uh, to make a change. Um, the point of this week is people matter. They aren't disposable. Uh, they aren't means to another person's ends. Uh, we are worthy of more than than just being cogs in other people's machinery. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Uh, wherever you are, wherever this finds you, keep living in love, 
keep engaging the work of, of survival, of resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation, and, and keep believing that change is possible. The moral arc of the universe can bend towards justice if we choose to bend it that way. And, and thank you, each of you also, who are supporting the, our work here at Renewed Heart Ministries. We have multiple events coming up this fall. You can check us out on our website, go to our homepage, look at our calendar. And if you'd like to support our work, you can do so by giving uh, on our donate page, on our website. And, and please consider becoming one of our monthly donors. Uh, together, we are making a difference. Th this month, uh, an attendee to one of our events uh, contacted us via the web later that evening and shared, um, this is the message she shared, I heard Herb speak today for the first time and was deeply moved by his presentation. I came away understanding the Lord's Prayer from a new perspective and committed to become more involved in social justice. Thank you for your honesty and ability to shed new light on basic truths. And that was from our, our new series on Lord's Prayer. And that's up on our website too, if you'd like to listen to that. Um, it's it's there, everything's for free. Uh, if, if you prefer to support us via the mail rather than online, you can do so at Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And thank you in advance for, for your partnership with us and the work of, of making our world uh, a safe, compassionate, just home for us all. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.